Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Real Skiers with Jackson Hogan. Seasons, greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to this episode. In this meditation of sorts, I explore the merits of a wandering mind, what was once called daydreaming. We don't normally consider this a skill, but it can be, or at least it can be used to good purpose. As I've tried to do here, for this meditation about a wandering mind was composed by one. Somehow I managed to guide this thought parade back to the subject of skiing, so please be patient, dear listeners, as I indulge my amusement in metaphysical puzzles. If you'd rather read these words than listen to them, you can find In Praise of the Wandering Mind among the library of recent revelations at realskiers.com. I hope you'll drop by the site soon. And now, In Praise of the Wandering Mind. This subject has been percolating in the subterranean strata of my noggin for several months, searching for the connections that will lend it substance. The search for this topic's handles has a wedding cake's worth of layers, a self-canceling concept that would oblige me to catch and release the idea in a Sisyphean quest to define its merits. The notion of expounding on this Mobius strip of an idea was, naturally, an example of the wandering mind in action. I might have been noodling on a question several of my dear readers have posed, which can be distilled to, how did I ever learn to write in the manner that I do? To find my answer, I had to relax my grip on the subject. My reasoning self was ready with mechanical answers, such as the discipline of writing every day, duly noted, but insufficient. Let's wander a little further. What about the soil my ideas are grown in? I'm the beneficiary of a very fancy education that stocked the halls of memory with all the shelves I'd need to continue it. I read compulsively. I read in the shower, for heaven's sake, so my reference library isn't too musty. But it isn't enough to fill the mind. One also has to order it, so that its contents can be readily retrieved when summoned. In my experience, the mind's facility at organizing its content is developed by math, music, and languages other than one's native tongue. Not that I showed much natural talent for any of these pursuits, but I was sufficiently exposed to them to at least lend some order to the whole. Filling the corridors of consciousness with oodles of references that pop up on command surely helps the word supply, but good writing isn't about the abundance of words. It's about getting them all in the right order. After all, everyone has a dictionary at their fingertips these days, yet literacy at large seems to be in decline. So what guides the wandering mind? If it was being well-guided, it wouldn't be wandering now, would it? The menace of the wandering mind is that it can latch onto anything, like ad jingles that suddenly burst into song when you're trying to balance the books, or a spike of anger inspired by a dreadful turn of events, and we've had plenty of those of late, that incites a brief revenge plot that you indulge for far too long, long enough to erase whatever preceded it. Despite these pitfalls, the wandering mind deserves our praise, for it succeeds where reason either cannot or will not. Somehow it forges fragile connections that it can maintain while it continues to scrounge around. A coherent, communicable idea is starting to coalesce. Carrying the new notion to term can be a fraught exercise of trial and error, or it can arrive on the page full-blown. When the latter occurs, one can feel the presence of the actual authors who gently prod fingertips to tap the necessary keys. The answer the wandering mind finally reveals is that my best writing isn't mine. I was chosen because I had stocked my shelves with all the ingredients my angels required. 
but they told me what to write. Every word. For those of you who are rather hoping this would have something to do with skiing, (laughs) thanks for your patience. Just as good writing is mightily assisted by a rigorous liberal arts education, beautiful skiing is a byproduct of learning how to use a ski in every one of its many incarnations. If you learn all of the early freestyle disciplines, moguls, aerials, and ballet, you will never be in a strange, twisted-up, mid-air position you haven't been in before. Your feet will become scholars of irregular terrain, able to move with serpentine grace, where others look like they're in a cage match with gravity. Learn to run gates. No one knows how to use their edges to telling effect more than a racer. You can spot a skier with race training from as far away as you can see them. It's that obvious. Racing will teach you how to use speed as a plaything, an exhilarating expression of the sheer joy of living. The three foundational disciplines of alpine racing, downhill, giant slalom and slalom, will liberate your skiing. Stock your skills collection with every move you can contrive. Learn to ski backwards on one ski on the uphill edge without poles and with your eyes closed. Please, no no letters, no angry emails. I get it. Skiing with your eyes closed is dangerous, arguably dumb. <laughs> Don't do it for long, duh. And get off the ground now and then. At a minimum, learn how to change direction in the air. If all this self-improvement sounds like a hill too steep to climb, take a smaller dose of this prescription. Start with a lesson, which aren't just for beginners. Everyone can get better. The best at their craft, whatever it is, all have coaches, sometimes lots of them. Take note that this season, ski school sizes will often be limited to a maximum of six students, a nearly perfect skier-to-instruction ratio. There may be no better time to let your skiing skills go a-wandering, exposing you to new forms of self-expression on snow. This has been Real Skiers with Jackson Hogan. Thanks for listening.